sorry. Yes, I uh, comparisons. Have you enjoyed our our studies in Genesis so far? The um, um, I've had some great feedback, and uh, but Genesis, the first eleven chapters of Genesis are so important for all the rest of Scripture really do hang on these 11 chapters. These are the foundations. That's, that's not right, isn't it, that we hang off something or other in these are our foundations. What's that called, Rob? A double... No, what's it called? Mixing our metaphors. I'm sorry. Have you ever seen that show on telly? I really like it. It's the... Um, uh, where they build the massive structures, um, you know, whether it be buildings around the world or bridges and so forth. And one of the things is that, that I've noticed is half the show usually is spent on how they built the foundations. And they put these massive piers in sometimes or they dig these, uh, these huge excavations. There was one in, uh, I think it was China, where they actually froze all the ground because the ground was too wet. So they could then dig the ground out to go down 14 storeys to be able to put the foundation in for the building. Because without those foundations, what would happen? That's it. That's it. Without the foundations, without the footings, without it being locked in, then you can't build the structure. And where the rest of the scriptures are, the structure of it all, these first 11 chapters, are the foundations. Hey? Boy, what, what am I doing? Do I turn it off? Is it better? You did that one? Is that okay now? No good? It's okay now. Okay, I'll stand here. Sorry. Um, the other thing is too that, uh, you know, lately we've seen with various things happening, trees coming down. And when you see those trees coming down, you see that all their roots are around the top. But when you've got a tree that's got a tap root that goes down deep into the subsoil. Those are the trees that really hang on when they're being battered, aren't they? And they're the mongrel trees to get out when you want to get them out of your garden. <laughs> we all seem to have one of those trees. that we. Got. But it's so true. The foundations, the foundations are so, so important. Genesis chapter 4. What an interesting thing. We see here in Genesis chapter 4 that God continues through grace and we're going to hear that a number of times today. He continues through grace to allow creation although tainted by sin to continue and develop as he intended. God created us for life and while sin came into the world he allowed it to continue. Life outside the garden is very different indeed and yet in many ways the same. Procreation begins but in procreation the sin that came into the world through Adam and Eve is then passed on to the generations to come. 
Sin had now become a fact of human nature. There's no better demonstrated than through what is described in this chapter. There is no serpent to blame now, no external force. Wrongdoing is now part of the human heart. Sounds sad, doesn't it? Wrongdoing is now part of the human heart. Murder, vengeance, the corruption of marriage, these are all part of life outside the garden. Chapter 4 is an interesting chapter in that it spans many decades. From Adam and Eve alone to them having their first children right through to Cain marrying and there being a city built with inhabitants. There are many chapters in the scripture that we look at that that concentrate on a single event over a very short period of time. But this particular chapter seems to span over many decades. It includes the beginning also of different forms of work, technology and the arts. We see later on that that, that, uh, Cain's descendants were the creators of the harp. Now what sort of a mind can imagine a harp when there was none already? Now we go and look at an orchestra and and we can see them all and we can see all the various instruments and we can hear them and how they work. But here his descendants invented them. The arts were developed. It also starts with faith and it ends with faith. It starts with the faith that we see Eve acknowledging God in the birth of her firstborn and possibly believing that he was going to be the one that was going to crush the serpent's head as God had promised. Cain's name, Cain's name is very interesting in that it seems to mean self-sufficiency, strength, a will for power, a self-assertion and it seems to be similar to one of God's names. Possibly Eve had in her mind that this child that she created was the one promised by God to deal with the sin issue that had brought separation from God and had broken their relationship with him. But then there was Abel's name. As if in disappointment at Cain, not being the one, she gives Abel a name that means nothing or frailty. It's the same word that Solomon uses in Ecclesiastes when he says vanity, vanity, all is vanity. So here we've got two children with two names that mean absolutely opposite. Was there this great excitement in in Eve's first child that he was going to be the one but then over time the disappointment or something that came and he gave this second child a name that was nothing. How would you feel if your mum called you nothing? But if Eve was disappointed in Abel, God certainly wasn't. Abel was the man of faith and remembered for all time as the hero of the faith recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. So life went on outside the garden. God created man for life and although now tainted by sin, God's original purposes for his intention were to be fulfilled. God's grace in this cannot be underestimated. 
In his holiness he is repulsed by sin and yet he he chose to allow life to continue and deal with the sin issue in a very different way. And we heard right from the beginning that before time began, before creation was set in place, God already had set in place his plan of salvation. Grace continued outside of the garden. Cain became a farmer as did Abel. Cain grew cops, Abel bred livestock. This in itself has been the cause of dissension for many, many years, many, many centuries. Grain growers and livestock breeders have been at loggerheads for generations and in many societies. They are two different classes of people in many societies. When the grain growers were started, they opened up the West in America. They started their farms and then came those with cattle and sheep. And there were wars started over that. One of the foundational problems of the, of the uh, what was it, the Tutsis and the Hutus, was it? Was the fact that one of those groups was grain growers and the others were livestock breeders. There have always been dissensions in areas. Maybe it all comes back to this. I don't know. But for some reason those two groups of people have never got on. Then it came to the point where both of them brought on offering. Now, the scriptures at this point have never told us any background as to what, what God may have told these people. Had he instituted any offerings and so forth at this point? What worship had been instituted by God? It doesn't say. And so we need to look at it at face value. We're also not told whether these two, whether the actions of both of these men were at the same time or whether they may have been quite some time apart. It just says that one brought an offering and the other brought an offering. Which also says to us that one was acceptable, which was Abel's, and Cain's wasn't. But it says this, that Cain and his offering was not acceptable Abel and his offering was not acceptable. Now there's many ideas as to why Cain's offering of grain wasn't acceptable. Some say that it was because it wasn't an animal and didn't involve blood. It didn't meet God's requirements. But but we don't see that at face value in this passage and we need to be careful of that. Often we read passages in the Old Testament through the eyes of the New Testament. And so... So we already built, or something's already built into us as we read it. And uh, but I think we need to. But but sorry, if we need to read these verses in isolation without the clues of other texts, do you think that you would come with the same conclusions? Because it read, we as we read it now, Cain and his brother. Sorry. Um, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked on favour with Abel and his offering but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. How would you read that if you saw that in isolation? Do you think it was fair? What would be your thoughts when you just read those verses 
in isolation. At face value, it seems most unfair that Cain and his offering was judged as unacceptable and Abel and his offering was acceptable. Well, acceptable to whom? And who gets to be the judge? God, that's who. And I want to make this point now that life isn't fair. Some people prosper and others don't. Some are born to live in wealthy countries and others are not. Some live long and healthy lives and others struggle through all their very short years. And it's not always the good that prosper. In fact, it is often the opposite as the psalmist would ponder in Psalm 73. He concluded this way. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. He goes on to talk about his own relationship with God. Verse 26 he says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Life isn't fair. Why were we born in Australia or America for folks here and India for some folks up the back? And Why were we born in the various countries that we were born in? I was looking at a particular show on telly the other night and I saw these little bubs struggling for life. And I just thought to myself, that could have been me. But for some reason I was born here. And it's even better here, I was born in Queensland. (laughs) But life isn't fair. And I can't be the judge of that. But God was the one that those offerings were coming to. And God often sees something very different in us than what we might see. I look at Brett and I see the particular person on the outside and I judge him accordingly. I judge him, sorry, according to our relationship. But I can't see the heart of Brett. I see the actions of Brett which are often the outworkings of the heart. But God looks at people very, very different. Very, very different to what we do. We don't get to make decisions on this fair and unfair. Life isn't fair. But we have a wonderful, loving, merciful, gracious Father who knows the end from the beginning and he is more than capable of dealing with all of those issues. Why did he choose the Israelites over other nations? Deuteronomy 7.7 says, Because... He loved them because he loved them. As simple as that. And as the creator, all, uh, the creator of all things, he has that right. Now let's look at the verse. The verse says, In the course of time Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. Now we could read it this way, that Cain grabbed a few heads of wheat and barley and placed them on the altar. But but, but Abel chose the best of the flock, 
the best portions and the best of his of the best of his flock to bring before the Lord he brought the best of the best John 3.12 gives us also a clue to this verse in the context of love and relationship we are exhorted to be not like Cain who was of the evil one who was of the evil one and Hebrews 11.4 tells us that by faith Abel offered a better sacrifice. What is of the evil one? Does it look at how you look? Is it about your actions? I think it's about in here, isn't it? I think it's about in here. And when Abel is classed as having a faith that brought this offering. That's about what's in here. So it's not the outward, but the inward. Some believe that Cain's sacrifice, as I've been before, didn't include the shedding of blood, but God describes acceptable grain offerings in Leviticus 2.14. Micah 6, 6-8, as we've mentioned many times here, describes God's requirements for all sacrifices, that they should be brought with a pure heart of justice, mercy and humility. This was the difference between Cain, offerings of Cain and Abel, the hearts of those who brought them. Isaiah 57.15 says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. I live, says God, in a high and mighty place, but also in the hearts of men who are contrite and lowly in spirit. We all need to be very careful in this area. As Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father in heaven. You know, coming to church on Sunday is a good thing. And the scriptures tell us that we should not stop meeting together. But it's not the worship that God requires if it doesn't match the life we lead on Monday to Saturday. True worship involves every moment of every day of every week then capped off by coming together as God's family to communally worship him in song and prayer and remembrance. But God's grace, God's grace is still evident and encouraging. You know, it, it, it's just amazing. It's just amazing that God's grace is still evident even though in the midst of our desires to worship him, we fail. And yet God reaches out and brings us back. But true worship, he sees, is not the action on the outside. It's not what I see on the outside of Brett. It's not the shaking of the hands and the way he responds to me. The true Brett is in here. The true Abel was in here. And the true Cain was in here. And that's what God looks at. How is your heart? How is my heart as we come into this place to worship today?
God's grace is still evident encouraging even when Cain was, uh, was challenged by God. You know, God didn't accept his sacrifice. And then he says, but why are you angry? Why are you angry? It's a bit of a strange thing for God to say, don't you think? Here was Cain and his, ex- and, and his sacrifice had not been accepted. He became angry. His face was downcast. And God said to him, why are you angry? How would you have responded? How would I have responded? Just think about it for a minute. Do you look back at Cain and think, oh, you should have done this, or you should have done that? But you know, we've got the same sin nature within us that Cain and Abel both had. Here we find two people born to Eve, that same sin nature passed on. And yet when we read often these scriptures, we are very judgmental of those people that we read of and we think they should have responded in a certain way. But how would you have responded and how would I have responded? What do you think? Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? And here was the grace of God that still continued. If I was God... Well, Cain might have gone like that because that's my personality. Just deal with the issue and get it out of the way. But God said to him, do the right thing, do the right thing and you will be accepted. Patience, incredible patience. Sin is crouching at your door, Cain. This is just the first step. Your heart's not right. Sin is crouching at your door and waiting to take you over. You've got to master it. You know, sin is changeless. It desires to have us all, Christian and non-Christian alike. It desires to make the Christian ineffective in his relationship with God and with man. And it desires to keep the non-Christian from having a relationship with God. There is Cain and there is Abel within every one of us. Like Abel, we desire to do the right thing in obedience to God and we push through the pressure of Satan's temptation. But also like Cain, we become egotistical and desire the things that Satan dangles in front of us. The person who controls the desires and relies on God for strength and walks daily with him will always be the one who pleases God and is acceptable to him. Justice, mercy and humility. These seemingly were Abel's attributes and certainly need to be ours. But what was Cain's response? Instead of heeding God's word, he allowed the anger to seethe within him. He fixed the problem his way. He didn't seek God. He didn't respond to God in a positive way. He didn't come back to God and say, I'm sorry, can we do that again? I'm sorry, 
I see the point. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Show me a better way. Now we can all look at that and say that's the way that he should have responded. Isn't that right? Do we always respond like that? Do we always respond like that? Isn't that an interesting question? Instead of heeding God's word, he allowed anger to seethe within him and he fixed it his way. He murdered his brother. And when God spoke to him of this, he wouldn't take responsibility for it. And God handed down his his punishment. He thought it too harsh. This also sounds like us, doesn't it? When we are held accountable for something, we often seek to blame someone or something else. When we are challenged about something, we often turn to challenge the one who is seeking to correct or guide us. It happens to me occasionally. When I'm challenged, my mind goes flat out. Is there something, is there someone I can blame? It goes on. Am I my brother's keeper when God looks to him and says, where is Abel? Where is Abel? Can you remember that, uh, that other question that God asked Adam? Where are you? God knew where he was. God knew where he was, but he wants us to acknowledge what's going on. And here he said to Cain, where is Abel? God knew exactly where Abel was. But he wanted Cain to come and acknowledge his wrongdoing. He desired Cain, even at this point, to come back into relationship with him. And he gave him every opportunity. Am I my brother's keeper? He responded, well, yes. (laughs) Yes. God could say to every one of us, yes, when it comes to care and concern for life, acceptance and respect, yes, all this and more is wrapped up in love. The very opposite of what Cain showed to Abel is what is referred to in John's epistle that we read earlier. If we say we love one another, when we, then we are our brother's keeper in the truest sense of the word. Jesus has become our keeper and become not only our creator but our brother through his keeping for us or keeping of us, I should say. His care, concern, respect for life and acceptance of us was displayed when he reached out his arms to accept us and to die for us. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, Cain, yes, you are, God could have said. But it is the same for us in that God knows the sin in our lives before even we come to confess it. There is nothing hidden from God, nothing. Here God gave Cain another chance to confess to him and make things right. God constantly shows patience, grace and mercy even for the arrogant. Self, ego, power, pride, the way of the world, the way of destruction. And they all just sit there, don't they? Mercy, 
justice, humility, the way of God, the way of peace, the way of true relationship with our fellow man and with God. So Cain left the land of his family as God dealt with him. And he went east to the land of Nod where he married and built a city. The name Nod means wandering or restlessness. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? A place or state that man finds himself in when he rejects God. For all of us, most content place that we can find is in relationship with God. The most content place is in relationship with God and as we fight against that relationship we find ourselves restless and wandering. Calvin says in one of his writings there was no peace for men unless they acquiesce in the providence of God and are persuaded that their lives are objects of his care. They can only quietly enjoy any of God's benefits so long as they regard themselves as placed in the world on this condition that they pass their lives in dear, sorry, indeed to his government. As I said before, this chapter seems to span many decades because as Cain went in and, um, into the new land, into this new life, out and away from his family, Adam and Eve have other children who have obviously had children of their own, which is always the way of God's intention. Be fruitful and multiply and cover the earth, he said. Chapter 4 is not about a single event. It's not about how sin entered man's heart and how a broken relationship with God is the cause of all evil in the world. But more than this, much more than this is it about grace and a God of great patience and persistence who desires nothing more than to live in relationship with his creation and desires his creation to live in relationship with one another. It is about God's common grace that continues to be active in a sinful world. And God's common grace did continue. Highly intelligent beings, developing building practices, inventing music, the discovery of metals and ores and developing the technology to use them. This is all involved in Genesis chapter 4. And sin also continues to be at the heart of man and society. In fact, a man called Lamech is singled out for comment in this chapter. Lamech's taunting reveals the swift progress of sin. Where Cain succumbed to it, Lamech exults in it. And here we see Lamech through pride becomes a polygamist and even through pride kills a young man for offending him. And he proclaims a 77-fold vengeance going far beyond the divinely given boundary that God had set for Cain. Oh, how pride and ego have developed in man. And we do not see, do we not see these very traits today? Multiple relationships and the breakdown of marriage through man's pride. 
people wounding or killing others for nothing more than a sideways look or just for pleasure. Does that sound like Saturday night in Melbourne? I wonder if Jesus had these verses in mind when he urged not retaliation but forgiveness to 70 times 7 and what the steward who had been given a fortune or forgiven a fortune by the king demanded a small amount from his fellow servant. That's the way of Lamech. That's the way of sin. That's the way of the corrupted man's heart. It's not the way of God or relationship. We owe so much to God and yet he paid our debt and forgave us. Yes, there is Cain within all of us and sin must be mastered. But this chapter finishes on a high note in verse 26. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. There is also Abel or the faith of Abel within, at work in us. Let us continue or maybe for some here today, let us begin even today to call on the name of the Lord. What a quick overview of this chapter with so much in it, with so much there for every one of us. But I will ask this, that you consider the Cain, you consider the Abel in every one of us. How is the sacrifice that we bring to God today? Is it right? Is it correct? Is it acceptable? And the way we come here today, how does it match the life that we live during the week? Let me pray for us now. Father, as we see the progression through these chapters of sin coming into the world, how that must have grieved you. But as you looked out over creation and you saw the development I'm amazed how you can still see and say it was good. How you still allowed the development of life as you created man. Even though sin had set itself deep in man's heart. Your grace abounded. Your forgiveness was evident your patience so strong I'm not sure that any of us here could have acted as you did at that time but then again you are God Father I pray that the heart of Abel will be the heart that we desire. That our worship on a Sunday morning will be matched by our worship from Monday to Saturday. That the hands that come and are lifted here on a Sunday morning to you are the hands of justice and mercy the heart that comes here on a Sunday morning 
and is lifted before you in worship is the heart of humility from Monday to Saturday. And that we would, we would seek in all earnesty to master the heart of Cain, the ego, the pride, that vessel of sin. Father, I pray today that we take these things away and we ponder them and we lay ourselves before you as you desired Cain to do. And we come and we seek you and ask you to help us, to show us what you desire in our sacrifice and to seek your help in our walk during the week. In Jesus' name, Amen.